Well, welcome to the third Back in Business Mental Wellbeing podcast. I'm Chris Pond, the chair of Back in Business, and I'm here today to listen to a conversation between Mark Esho, who runs the IT-based company Easy Internet Solutions, and Chris Jay, the founder of Bascule Disability Training, which supports businesses to develop organisational awareness of disability. In this episode, we discuss the challenges and perhaps the opportunities that disability can bring in the world of business how this can have an impact on mental well-being and ways in which they can be overcome. I was um, just thinking about how zoomed out I am, quite honestly. I I was on a conference this morning, really interesting conference on disability. But, you know, even in a subject I'm interested in, it's still like all these hours looking at the screen. It's quite it's quite hard work. So I've sort of been I've been recaffeinating, ready for our chat. <laughs> yeah, I've been the same as well. I've had a few coffees today. But 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 you know it's a, but, you know a lot of people are saying that they've been zoomed out. But haven't you found it a bit more easy in the fact that you're not having to travel to meetings. Um, you know, because with meetings you get an awful lot of travel time, then you've got to get ready when you get there, you know, get get, get yourself, you know, you've got to be mentally prepared and stuff. At least with Zoom, you can actually, you know, you can be in your pyjamas um, at the moment. Well, I've, I've actually got my pyjama bottoms on, but you can't see it, <laughs> you know, so I could just change my top. That's a mental image I'm now not going to be able to find. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm you but no, I mean, I, I completely agree with you. I mean, people with disabilities have been talking about home working for years. That's and it's slightly sad that it's taken it being forced on the rest of the population for us to really get the massive benefits from it. I mean, I'm attending networking meetings in the north of the country. I'm based down in Southampton. This conference today, I would have bet you dollars to donuts. It would have been in London if it was in person, which trains aren't bad. Don't get me wrong, but it's a hell of a lot easier. As you say, just sitting there in not your pajamas (laughs) and just attending, attending meetings. And it's so much easier to book one-to-ones as well. Let's have a virtual coffee. Let's chat here. But I think there are a couple of things we have to be careful of. One, we use travel time as decompression time. True. And it's very easy to go straight into another meeting. And I'm just as guilty as this. I've literally just left that conference. Yeah. And I've come straight on to this. And the other thing that does concern me is that... We have to make sure businesses understand that homeworking is an option for people with disabilities. Potentially, it's a great option, but what it's not is where people with disabilities should be pigeonholed into, oh, well, they work from home, don't they? Because we can't be bothered to sort them out in the workplace. So it's forever looking at that balance. Yeah, I hear you. But don't you think it's actually created more opportunities for for disabled people? Because my my company, for instance, we've been doing remote working for the last 10 years. And as a result, we employ people basically from all around the country. And one of the things that's been great for us is that when we advertise in posts, um, you, you know, we're not having to specify the location. We're basically saying, you know, this post is open to anyone, you know, anyone within the UK. And um, and also as well, when we're doing interviews, we actually do virtual interviews. So we've been doing this for a long time. And what I found is like, for instance, uh, one of my chaps um, who's a web developer, he's got, you know, he's got a master's degree in, um, in computer science. And, um, and 
he's been unemployed for about three years to I decided to take him on. And his issue is he's got Asperger's. And, you know, and, and, and he literally can't go to interviews. He can't face any sort of interview. Uh, he's, he's highly competent. He's okay, virtually. But anywhere else, he, he's, he, he, anything else, he, he kind of struggles. So, it, as you said, you know, it's that balance, isn't it? It, it very much is. And I think it's, it's really important... Uh, I mean, it opens a huge number of doors. As I said my ability to travel. I've pivoted mm. my entire business uh, during COVID. So my business does disability awareness training. Um, what people listening to a podcast can't see is that I'm a wheelchair user. I know you're a part-time wheelchair user as well. Um, it's allowed me to deliver training online mm. and reach more people. Whereas previously, it would only ever be practical for me to go into a company and work directly with them in their building. And that would only be one uh, business I'd work with per day. Yes. Now I can run open sessions and I can make it open to anyone. And I ran my first open session last month and it was hugely successful because it Excellent. also represents a sales funnel because I can invite people in from large corporates who want to see how I operate, who want to see how my training works. I've got something they can come to that they can see that operates as a pilot and yes. then allows for further rollout within their organization. And I've even been contacted by an organization based in Guernsey of all places because oh, Guernsey, wow. has, <laughs> Guernsey so has its first disability awareness legislation or disability equality legislation coming in um, next year and they're looking for someone to provide some training. And so that proactivity, that being mm. on Zoom, that travel barrier being removed has really created some new business opportunities. So do you actually think um, then this time, um, has it actually impacted on your mental health at all? Because I, I know with me, I've had, my, I've had my good days, I've had my bad days. Um, but most importantly, seeing family members who are, I would say, never have any bad days starting to have bad days now because of the extended lockdown how's it been for you it's been it's been a rough time i'll, I'll be honest uh, partly because of lockdown but also my father passed away in june oh sorry so sorry to hear that and well thank you and having that happen in the middle of the pandemic not being able to go to the hospital with him not being there with him when he died and having to phone the hospital to get an update on him only to be told he'd you know he'd had a cardiac arrest and passed away that was that was all quite traumatic oh, gosh. and and you know it's been it's been very difficult on my on my mum as well but in terms of the effect lockdown has had on me personally yeah. i would say it's not been too bad and i'd say that for a couple of reasons mm. i mean i'm i'm very publicly open when i say that i suffer from uh, depression and anxiety but i've this i've had depression and anxiety for 10 years this is okay. this is this is the 10th years 10th year that i've had had problems <clears throat> and there are two things that come to mind the first mm. of which is i've got techniques that i use now that can help mitigate some of that. And secondly, I think there is a degree of resiliency in being someone with a mobility impairment. This idea that you don't necessarily have all the freedom that everybody else has. The idea that your home is to an extent your safe space. Absolutely. 
and the fact that actually a lot of things are a damn sight easier than they were. I mean, if I look at my neighbour, for example, who's mm. a guy who loves to do 30 mile bike rides and always loves to be out, he's really struggling because he can't go out and do things. Whereas me, I've grown up with my disability. So my personality, my hobbies, you know, writing music, playing video games, watching TV, all of that kind of stuff, reading books, it's all can be done in the comfort of my own home. Now, I love seeing friends. Mm. I love going to concerts. I love um, conventions and, and things like that. But it's not the be all and end all of my life. So I yeah. think it does give, or I found it gives me a degree of resiliency that perhaps others don't have. No, 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 I completely agree with you. I think it's been a bit easy on me because, again, you know, I've, um, before lockdown, I used to work from home about two to three days a week anyway. Um, um, my youngest brother, who's um, is actually in his um, early um, 40s, um, he contacted uh, pan uh, pancreatic cancer two years ago and it's terminal. And he's only got a very short time, <clears throat> excuse me, get a bit emotional when I, you know, when I actually talk about this. Uh, but um, I was supposed to have flown to, go, to actually go and see him in July and the flights got cancelled. Oh, it's currently God. going through critical trials at the moment. Uh, but that is essentially, that's his last home. And I think that's the bit that I found most hard actually mm -hmm. during the lockdown is that I couldn't, you know, that I couldn't be there to support him. Uh, so yeah, it's been, it, it's been hard at times, but just like yourself, as you said, you, you know, you, 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 there, there's an element of, um, you've actually been quite resilient, um, in terms of having various coping mechanisms. I'm lucky that I've actually got a very supportive family. I've got my wife, I've got my kids actually supporting me. Uh, and I've, and I've also got some really good friends as well. Uh, but, uh, but without that, I can, you know, I would expect that a lot of people are actually struggling. Yeah, I mean, obviously, um, forgive me a little bit, you did break up a, a, a little bit during oh, that. You, okay. you're, I mean, I can't imagine how you're dealing with, you know, not being able to visit a close family member like that, particularly when their time is, is obviously limited. limited. Um, and that is, well, Having having lost my dad also during this yeah. period, I, mm. I I I have a degree of understanding, but at the mm. same time, my dad's death was a total shock. He wasn't a particularly well man, right, but at the right. same time, we weren't expecting him to just go like he did. Mm. Um, so I I'm very lucky that during lockdown, my yeah. family were my support bubble. Yeah. And as a result of that, I spent my time going between my house, where I live alone, and their house, where they obviously just live them together. They were some my, my support while they were looking after me. And I'm lucky that actually I got to see my dad more than if there hadn't been a lockdown, because right. after all, my dad's my dad. He's always there, isn't he? Absolutely. Um, and so I'm actually very lucky that I spent more time with him than I had um, beforehand. And and now mm. I'm incre I'm incredibly grateful for that time. So I can really, I really feel for you in not okay. having that that ability mm. to go and mm. visit family at a time when you know you 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 really want to. 
Yeah, absolutely. So you so you mentioned that you've suffered with anxiety and um, and depression. Do you, do, do you think that's as it's as a direct result of your disability? Because what I find is that um, you know there's lots of disabled people with mental health issues, and um, we as disabled people, um, you know, our physical disability gets treated, but not our mental health is is completely ignored. The honest answer is, mm. I don't know. What I noticed, and mm. this is probably going back to October 2009, I started developing more physical health problems. Right. Um, I was put mm -hmm. on um, some long-term ibuprofen uh, for an issue I was having, uh, quite a private issue, which doesn't, you know, doesn't need uh, vocalising on a, on, a, on a podcast. But right. uh, that totally screwed up my stomach lining. Oh, so then I was having all sorts of stomach problems. And um, then I discovered a lump. Oh, no. And it all kind of spiraled a bit out of control. I, be I, be I became obsessed with my health. Um, you know, and by obsessed, I mean absolutely paranoid. You know, every ache, every pain was uh, oh. some fatal disease of some kind or mm. another. And it's, it's incredibly debilitating. And one of the reasons I'm so pro activity around mental health was yeah. I had, I had no idea at the time that I was suffering from depression and anxiety. Mm. Mm. Because even I as someone with a disability had that stereotype of um, pull, <laughs> you, pull yourself together. Exactly. Um, <laughs> you can cope. But of course, no one who hasn't had depression and anxiety really knows what it is. They might have a basic intellectual understanding of it. But I don't think anyone is prepared for the day where their brain starts telling them that two plus two equals ten. Yeah, yeah. For the, for the day that their brain turns against them. And one of the problems that really caused me to seek help um, was I started developing um, a number of, uh, I believe the medical term is intrusive thoughts. Thoughts okay. that just push their way through and would bother, bother you day after day after day after day, minute after minute after minute after minute. And, you know, these are not the kind of thoughts, <clears throat> oh, did I leave the oven on? You know, these are... Right. A, a worrying, depressing, sometimes dark thoughts that wow. don't don't in any way reflect your real personality. Mm. But you have this one thought, and in this anxious state that you are in, you then obsess over that one thought. And it's like yeah, me absolutely. saying to you, don't think about pink elephants. <laughs> what, <laughs> what, that's the first thing you think about, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. And, and I do remember one dark day, and it has only happened yeah. once, where I got all the medication out on the table and I did wonder whether I had enough to, to you know, mm. to end it all. Um, and that you only happened the once. Yeah, I can, I can relate to that because I had a very difficult upbringing uh, because um, my father um, was quite um, ashamed of having a disabled child. So I was actually, you know, supposed to get beaten a lot. And also, I went to mainstream school. Obviously, I mean, I'm a, you know, I'm, a, I'm of a slightly different generation to you, uh, where schools actually weren't integrated. So I was actually being bullied. So at the age of 13, it just got so much. 
and I just had such, uh, I'd had enough that I actually tried to kill myself. Fortunately, I didn't succeed. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here now. But um, it's, it's 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 something that I wish as a child, because again, with the you know obviously obviously with the disability discrimination, also with the child abuse as well, I wish I'd actually sought some sort of help. Um, you know, when I was younger, as opposed to trying to cope with it myself. And over the years, I still haven't sought any help with it. Um, and I do get the, the odd dark days uh, whereby, you know, I sometimes, you know, the odd days whereby I just can't function. And I turn to, especially in my 20s, I used to drink a lot. Mm. And what I didn't um, realise that obviously the drinking um, actually actually compounds or exacerbates the depression because you feel you know you, you know so you, you know so you're drinking actually feel really happy one evening but then you wake up in the morning with a massive anger and actually feeling like death and um it's it's yeah it's it's, it's just one of those um situations and and, and i just I said i just wish i'd actually sought help uh, when i was younger mm-hmm. my uh, moment of my moment of crisis was oh. um january 2010 um, I was snowed in. We had snow here during that time. I was completely trapped. And that was kind of where everything kind of went wrong. Yeah. But that's where I went off the wagon a bit. But if I'd sought professional help three, four months earlier, yeah. I probably could have avoided the psychological aftershocks that to an extent still affect me to this day. Mm. Um, and mm. and I'm really keen that people, if they do feel like, even if they don't quite know what's wrong, if something has changed Absolutely. in their mood, if something has changed, please, if you're listening to this and you're struggling, for the love of God, please reach out to someone, family member, friend, Samaritans, whatever it is, just please reach out to someone because it might be that you can do something about it before things get even worse. I think that's really good advice that you give, that you, you know, good, really good advice that you're giving there, uh, Chris, uh, because again, you know, like for instance, it's so easy to say someone, to someone, oh, I've got a headache. Uh, I can't come to work today because I've got a headache, you know, because I've got a headache or I've got a migraine. Uh, but, you, but, but, but you're not inclined to say to someone, oh, like, I'm actually feeling a bit depressed today. I can't come to work. <laughs> you know, it's that perception, isn't it, um, that people have got of actually mental health in general. And, um, and I actually think that there needs to be a lot more awareness around mental health, and especially for disabled people. You know, I, I, I'm actually yet to meet a disabled person uh, that hasn't got some sort of mental health issues. Mm. Um, you know, you can correct me on that if you want. <laughs> well, do you know what? I was just thinking of uh, one of my very good friends who was also a wheelchair user who sadly passed away a, right. a couple of a couple of years ago and he was a very positive chap mm. but knowing him as i did i still knew there were dark thoughts on under the surface and i think there is this thing there are those of us with uh, mental health concerns who admit it there are those of us with mental health concerns who have them but don't admit it and That's then true. there are those of us who have them but almost don't acknowledge that they are there now Absolutely. I want to be really clear that neither of us are saying that living with a disability is an inherently depressing experience. It's not. Um, 
we've well certainly speaking for myself doing the kind of work I do I like to think that I take what a lot of people consider a negative my disability and turn it into a positive training and other experience for other people and I've met some phenomenal people doing the work that I do and when I do work with kids in schools one of the questions I will ask them if they're the right age is if there was a miracle cure for your disability why wouldn't you take it and it's a really interesting question because you're Mm. looking for answers around self-acceptance you're looking for answers about how your disability sometimes whether you like it or not is a fundamental part of who you are Um, and actually how it might have given you unique opportunities that you might not have had if you didn't have a disability so for example Mm. i love wheelchair rugby Okay, yeah. you can only play wheelchair rugby if you have a certain degree of disability. That's it's correct. not professionally open to people who don't. So again, there there is one opportunity that I have as someone with a disability that isn't mm. um, open to all people. So although this is a podcast about mental health and we're being really honest about it, I think it is yeah. really key to also say that um, despite everything, and I don't want to speak for you as well, but I suspect I know the answer. I'm actually very happy, very happy with, with my life. Yeah, yeah, I'm the same as well. Um, you know, I, I actually think if it wasn't for my um, disability, I would have had the success that I've had in business um, because mm. uh, growing up, because I couldn't actually go out and do sports, uh, I couldn't go out and socialise. We um, mm. uh, stuck a lot of my friends, so I was actually used to, uh, more to be more academic and studying a lot so so therefore you know that's why I managed to you know I've got a master's degree and when it came for me to actually go into business I was actually used to that hard work and that hard graft and also be especially with an internet business the internet businesses that I've got to be spent to, to spend extended periods of time in front of the screen uh, so for me, it has been a blessing, it, uh, to, mm. you know, that respect. And as you, you know, and my quality of life is actually fantastic. Uh, I think the only barriers I face as, uh, as, a, as a disabled person are the, are, the kind of, are the barriers that society kind of imposes on me. I'm not going to go into the social model of disability because, again, that, you know, that's a completely different uh, topic altogether. That's a podcast uh, but, all of itself. Uh, exactly. All that stuff. So you're absolutely right. Yeah, but generally, so so so, so for me, you know, my um, just about talking about just giving ideas on my my coping mechanisms. Uh, that for for me is I like for instance, I've got a routine. Um, so in the morning, uh, I always listen to something motivational. Um, that's what sets me up for the day. And if you look around, because I'm actually, I've, I've, I've got one of these garden offices, like a garden pod, and, oh, and, and all around me, I always have messages, um, kind of motivational messages. So the first thing I, I see in the morning is something that's actually going to say, oh, great, you know, you, you know, you're great. Like, for instance, I've got something on my, on my wall that says, stay positive, stay fighting. That's the first thing I see, actually, when I come into my office. And it's all those mental cues. And, um, you know, like, for instance, I would sometimes use a, um, uh, also use like a mood lamp, uh, which is actually quite fantastic as well, especially on dark days like this, especially now that, you know, that really in the winter. So it's just those little things that I tend to use just, to, you know, just to keep me at a, you know, in a positive mindset. Well, what sort of things do you do? Well, 
I started looking for a lot of things 10 years ago when I started having problems bef bef before I sought um, professional help. And I did eventually right. seek prof professional help. I did all the things that everybody does. I went to self-help books. Yeah. I looked into neuro-linguistic programming. And I'm actually a big believer. I have used every night before I go to sleep for the last nearly 10 years, uh, a Paul McKenna reducing stress. Neuro-linguistic programming thing. It's a book with a CD that I bought eons ago. Yeah. But the causal relationship between me listening to that and a reduction in stress and relaxation, whether it's the NLP these days itself or whether it's simply the association with the feeling of relaxation, I found that that works really well. I do make an effort to see a psychologist um, once a week, uh, okay. obviously, particularly in light of my dad's passing. I found yes. that to, to be a, a really healthy thing to do to offload so that I'm not always offloading on my poor mother, for example, who's obviously yeah. going through the same things that, that I am. Um, I've actually really like apps like Headspace and Calm. Have you used alternatives? Uh, Muse, you know, with the Muse headsets. No, I've, I've, I've not used that. <laughs> They're actually fantastic. Um, because I, someone introduced me to meditation, uh, but I've always found it a bit difficult to meditate. So I've, I've used the um, headset. Uh, so basically, you put it on, you put your headphones in, and it monitors your heart rate, your, your breathing, and your brain waves. It's, it's a fantastic device, and that's what I kind of use. What, what I try to do at least about ten to twenty minutes on meditation every day. Yeah, it's some it's really something... good, some really good tips here. On I've been sitting here quietly in fascination and admiration for what you've both achieved, and some of those coping mechanisms I think will be very helpful for other people. But there'll be lots of people listening to this who think, mm -hmm. how on earth did these two? when they've been through all of this, still manage to run their businesses. And is, is part of the answer that running the business is one way in which you cope? Can, can the business actually be a way of helping you find those coping mechanisms? I, I think that's it, you're right there, Chris. Um, my, my, my business has always been my way of escaping. Um, and like, for instance, if I'm upset about something, I tend to put put more hours in. Uh, I find it more of a, like a healing process for me. And also it's something that I tend to hide behind a lot. Uh, so it's um, for me is I try not to have too much time to think, um, yes. which, which is yes. dangerous. Yes. It's very, yes. very dangerous for me. So being busy is great. Um, what I found, uh, but this is something about about five, six years ago, is I wake up in the middle of the night and start thinking all sorts of horrible things. Uh, so now I've, I've found a way of actually turning that off. So I now listen to audiobooks. So the moment I wake up, I go to the toilets and, um, and you know, the moment I lie, lie back in bed, I put my audiobook on and within half an hour, I'm actually asleep again. So, so, so you're absolutely right. So my business has, has actually been my saviour. I, th I, th I think I would, I would say that two things. My psychologist would say that I like to use my business in part as a distraction technique. 
Yeah. Like Mark, the idea of sitting constantly and thinking about life, certainly in 2020, for me personally, <laughs> uh, I know Mark would feel the same, 2020 has been a year that I won't be upset to see the back of. Let's put it that way. Um, and actually thinking constantly about these things is not massively helpful. And there is such a thing as a brain body loop. So with cerebral palsy, for me, I tend to find that my body is quite physically anxious anyway. It's quite tight. There's a lot of spasticity and unwanted movement and motion. And everything feels a bit like a really wound up ball. And of course, that has a negative effect on your brain because then you yeah. feel anxious and then vice versa. So my business has been therapeutic on two fronts. The first of which is, yes, it is a distraction, but it's also therapeutic on the other front. Um, if I just briefly touch on my journey into disability awareness. Um, in 2008, I started volunteering with a charity called Enable Me. Uh, that specialised in going into schools with teams of volunteers and talking to children about what it's like to have a disability. Um, and I describe that as a little bit like my religious calling. I had no idea what I wanted out of my life before then. And actually, if you'd said to me, oh, Chris, you'd work in disability <laughs> for the rest of your life, my response would have been something fairly impolite. But actually, when I actually did that work for the first time, when I talked to kids, when I was able to answer their questions, see the light in their eyes and see the almost the barriers break down before my eyes. It's an incredibly powerful and enjoyable experience. And uh, over a number of years, I worked my way up to the top of the organization. And sadly, in 2018, it shut down due to the, the school's funding crisis of the time. But that experience that knowing what i wanted to do oh. was what really focused me on setting up vascular disability training um, for those of you that don't know uh, a bascule is a kind of drawbridge okay and 67 percent of the british population feel uncomfortable talking to people with disabilities so my job is to bring the bridge down so that everybody's talking and of course reasonable adjustment is enshrined in law so now what I do is trading for businesses, making use of my experiences as both someone who's been involved in a number of businesses and as a director governor of a school, bringing that all together to work with businesses and then using the profit to do workshops for school children. And I find all of it therapeutic because every day I get to break down barriers. I get to say to people, you think my life is pants because of ABC. Mm -hmm. And I'm here to tell you that actually some days, yes, it is pants, but find me anybody who doesn't have the occasional day where they just think, I can't be bothered with this. My life sucks for whatever reason it is. Everybody has days like that. Absolutely. They're not happy. They're not happy with their weight. They're not happy with the way they look. They're not happy with their body. They're not happy with one of their relationships. Everybody has a day like this. And for me, if I could use some of the really negative experiences that I've had in terms of the way people have reacted to me in the past mm. and turn that into positive learning, you know, that is, in my definition, rubbish in, gold out. And it's not often that you can say a process like that, that you could take a story like that and turn it into a golden learning opportunity for other people.
No, I completely agree. The, you know, I'm, as, as I said, you know, it's, used, it's, it's almost like you're actually using your business as some sort of way to survive. And, um, and, and, uh, and in terms of what you said, kind of, you know, in terms of what you said about working in disability quite, quite resonates with me because that's what I'm now doing with access rating. Um, you know, in terms of wanting to make a difference in, and, and wanting to break down barriers as well, uh, because we do face significant barriers as disabled people. So, um, so yes. As someone who's always keen to learn new things, I'd be interested, perhaps, on your thoughts on the mm. interplay between race and disability, and and how that affected you growing up and. <laughs> Uh, whether it was mm. obvious what you were being discriminated against for. <laughs> That's a really good question. Uh, it, it's uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a difficult one. So if you say so, so, so if I'm with a black person or or person of color, um, I'm more, more likely to be discriminated against because uh, because of my disability. Um, if it's with um, a white person, then you never know whether they're going to discriminate against you because you're black or you're disabled or, you know, or, 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 you know, or both. Uh, but it does um, make it exceptionally hard. And again, you know, it does play your mental health because you go somewhere and you don't know, um, you know, what sort of discrimination are you going to face today? Is it going to be a single discrimination or is it going to be a double discrimination? And I wrote an article in my uh, um, blog a couple of years ago. Um, I'm not going to say the word, but it starts with F, so we're going to use fudged. So how fudged are you? So, yeah. um, so, so, so I gave you a rating of one if you're white and disabled. Uh, if you're black and disabled, a person of colour, then um, so I gave it a two. If you're a person of colour and, and if you're a woman and disabled, it's a three. And if you're, um, if you're a person of colour and you're a woman and disabled and a Muslim, then that's a four. That means you are completely fudged. That really resonates with me because honestly, <laughs> okay. we, we, don't, we don't engage in the right degree of honesty about the barriers that mm. people face. Um, and there has been an awful lot around um, white privilege. And I will be the first to admit that probably more through hope mm. than anything else, I assume that the racial discrimination problem surely must have died a death <laughs> because it's so ridiculous. I mean, I figured I figured there would still be some outlying cases, but obviously, what again, what twenty twenty has shown very clearly is actually how ingrained um, discrimination is still against all protected characteristics. Well, well, think, well it, it is. Yes, yeah, I go on. I'll let you finish. I was going to say, I and mean, this is my real problem with political correctness, because the problem with political correctness is it says to someone. No, you can't use that word. Um, let's take the N word, which everybody knows what we mean, that we're not going to use. You can't say that word because it's the wrong word. Mm -hmm. The problem with that is you don't then actually do any work to change someone's thinking. It don't, you don't actually then go to say, actually, why do you want to use that word? Why do you want to use a word? I'll use one that I can get over using spastic. Why do you want to use a term like mm. spastic rather than just saying you can't say that you will be cancelled? 
Um, we no longer engage in dialogue to try and change views. We just cancel things. And I, I find that really difficult. And I'm really clear in training that I would much rather somebody called me a spastic and started a conversation with me, because at least then I've got a chance to say to them, actually, um, thank you for engaging me in conversation, but actually we don't use that term anymore well for me i think i'll actually beg to, to, beg to differ on that one because there are certain words um who have actually who, who um certain words who are actually quite malicious and have also got a, a deeper meaning and uh, you, you mentioned the n-word you, you know obviously that the black people that actually call themselves the n-word uh, but it's um it's it's a context in which it's used um it's 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 the same word as using the word cripple um, you know, some people find like deeply offensive, and some people just brush it off, or more people might just say uh, handicapped. And 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 again, it's the way is that the way disabled people we joke with each other. We will say things to, to we we'll say things to each other that the general public would never dare actually say. <laughs> you know, what you dare think of. So uh, so so a lot of it actually comes back to context more than anything else. The context in which it's said, and and also mm -hmm. the context in which it's meant more than anything else. Ab absolutely, I couldn't agree with you more. And that's when I deliver training, that's really the key for me is to look at context. Because if you have dialogue, then you can bring about change. Absolutely. And what I really what I really don't like is this fear. And there's this very British thing, you come across one with a disability, oh God, I don't know the right words to say, I know, I'll say nothing at all, that's safer. And I completely agree with you. I actually read somewhere it's like eighty percent uh, of the uh, British population has got a disability bias. So that means that every it's almost every person, four out of five people you you meet, has got some sort of bias towards you. And I've always said, okay, so if, if that's four to five people I meet have got disability bias, and so then if you're black as well, um, I'd expect that that probably might go up to like ninety percent in my case. So you know, uh, but um, yeah, it is um, yeah, it is a tricky one. Well, I think that this conversation has been absolutely inspiring uh, for me, and I'm sure for so many people listening and especially uh, that discussion about the way in which you deal with multiple discrimination. Um, and I think, you know, people will take inspiration from this by thinking, despite everything that these two have had to put up with, they nevertheless are able to run businesses and indeed are doing so with enthusiasm and can see the positive side, not only of the pandemic, but of disability. So I want to thank both of you for a tremendous conversation. Um, and I know we'll be, be meeting again to have further conversations like this, but I suspect there'll be a lot of young people listening in who are facing similar challenges, who will think they can do that. The people listening to this podcast can't see behind Mark's uh, head that on his wall, one of those inspirational messages is, I can and I will. Yeah. And that's obviously the approach that both of you take. And I'm sure that other people listening to this will think, yep, yeah, I can as well. And I will as well. So thank you both very much. Oh, thanks, thanks for having thank us. You.